Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, today we're going to take a look at the early entries in the class of 23. These are the freshmen that have enrolled early. They're already on campus, and there's actually 11 of those players. I remember it wasn't too many years ago. That was a, a strange, it was an anomaly to see a player uh, now come in early, and now it's the norm. So before we get there, though, we did have some major news this week having to do with the Penn State coaching staff, and that is defensive line coach John Scott Jr. He's off to the NFL, to the Detroit Lions. I don't think we could look at this any other way, but his decision, this wasn't James Franklin pushing him out the door. I think it's just an NFL job that he wanted. Yeah, it, uh, the thing that I find most interesting is that it's very late, you know, uh, the the latest I've real I can recollect was Josh Gaddis leaving, and that was a surprise at the time. Uh, and that was at the beginning of February, which at that time it was like scramble. What are you gonna do? They had to move some things around with their staff, which was already set. Um, so maybe that was a good fire drill for this. But it, it's we're two weeks away from spring practice, but even less than two weeks away from spring practice. And the uh, contact period opens back up after the February dead period as of tomorrow. Now, um, some things will extend that a little bit for Penn State, um, just giving the timing of things from what my uh, my coworkers explained to me. But uh, it's not ideal in the timing, but at the same time, they've been through this before. Like this is, uh, this is kind of the norm now is, is guys move on for other positions, other jobs. It's not a static landscape like it used to be. And, uh, and I don't think that this is, um, I think that they, they can, this can go poorly, but it's not a serious, serious problem. Um, the way maybe it would have been a couple years ago. I, I think they have enough practice now of having to do these kind of, late game scrambles to find somebody um, given given the change and the turnover that everyone experiences now. Yeah, a couple. This is something that happens at the collegiate level with coaching staff. People move on. I would also think with this type of move that it's not James Franklin maybe had an inkling this was coming. I don't think it was. John Scott Jr. knocks on coach's door and says, hey, coach, I'm out of here. Yeah. I would think that they've had this discussion. Hey, I'm interviewing for this job. Yeah. So I'm sure James Franklin has an inkling. I think Penn State's program right now is looked at as it's on the upswing. So I think it could be a place where they can get a pretty good coach. But I do want to throw one name at you that's been thrown around quite a bit, and that's Dion Barnes. He is being talked. He has been talked about quite a bit as a rising star in the coaching world. He has helped them, uh, Penn State, with their recruiting in Philadelphia, which has been really important. A lot of players have talked about him. What are your thoughts? I don't have any, truthfully. Like this is it's it's interesting 
that they have a guy on the staff um, that they were trying to find a position for, right? They wanted to keep him. But did you expect that you needed to immediately elevate somebody with no, technically, no on-field position coaching experience to the defensive line um, right now? And the answer could be yes, and it could be great. Uh, but the answer could be no, and it could be totally reasonable that he's not the guy uh, and can still perform his duties and what he was doing behind the scenes as adequately as as he was previously. Um, I just I don't know the temperament. I don't know if that is a risk or is not a risk because that gets it. Jim, that gets into the side of like coaching, coaching that it's uh, that's less knowable from like watching film and for from observing practices and things like that. That's sort of the if you're a coach, you know that answer. And if you're not, it's hard to have that level of insight. So he is obviously a good candidate to replace John Scott Jr., but the the relative inexperience is going to be something they have to to wrestle with if they want to give him that job. And, um, you know, I know that that's an unsatisfactory answer, but I, I always try to be honest and like, I, I don't know if that's a slam dunk hire or if there's some concern about, OK, we weren't expecting to do this right away. We didn't want to do this just yet. Um, and, and I guess we'll find out. I, they're still going to conduct some sort of search, I, I'd imagine, um, even if they've already conducted that search, as you mentioned. John Scott Jr. is taking the Detroit Lions job. He's going to the NFL. There was a hiring process. There was an interviewing process. Uh, James Franklin has been aware of this much longer than than we have. Like this news is kind of surprise. Here you go. It's part of the the news dump on Monday. But they've they've got a jump start on this. So they've been making these decisions. We'll find out sooner rather than later. I think. And uh, it could be Dion. It could very well be Dion Barnes. But I could I would not be shocked if it wasn't. So it's really I don't know that anyone unless you're in in the room really know which way that's going to go. Let me start by saying you are 100 percent right T. Frank. It's a totally unsatisfactory answer. So I'm not accepting it. OK, you get to try again. Now, let me let me give you just a quick thought on it. I think the advantage we don't know what Dion Barnes capabilities are. We don't know if he's. Uh, his inexperience would be an issue right now. But I think what helps in this situation is he's been on the staff now for a few years. So James Franklin and the rest of his coaching staff have seen him at work for several yes. years. Yeah. So they should have a pretty good feel on whether he's ready or not. And I think that would be helpful. Yeah. One thing I think he would have in his favor He's been complimented so much about his abilities to help in recruiting. And I believe anyone now that James Franklin, and maybe this is the truth throughout college football, you bring in a coach, he's got to be able to recruit. So the, the, but it's not just recruiting, uh, you know, it's also development. And James Franklin has, has made it clear that you got to do both if you're going to be on the staff. And, uh, you know, that's again, that's the part that, We've seen progress, especially from the defensive ends. And I know defensive tackle is a whole different conversation when it comes to the defensive line and some of the disappointments that that people have had in this, you know, last, I'd say, five years. You know, since P.J. Mustafer came in, they haven't really been able to get a, one of those one technique defensive tackles. But the development has been obvious. 
with with Arnold Ebikidi, Chop Robinson especially. And I, I wouldn't say that the the recruiting under John Scott Jr. was bad. They did bring in a five-star defensive end and Zane Durant. So, you know, there have been some misses. There, there's no doubt about that. I think the class of 23 that we'll talk about, uh, there were some misses, especially along the defensive line. There was a lot of players that were interested in Penn State and that went elsewhere. Um, now, that's something you can control and can't control at, at a certain point. But when you talk about the development, they have gotten a lot of really good play out of their players. The question becomes, like, how much was Dion Barnes a part of that? And how much did he learn from John Scott Jr.? And what's the percentage of credit attribute uh, attribution between the player, the individual player, um, the position coach, and then Barnes? So I, we're not a practice. We don't. I don't know that. You know, we get to see a certain percentage of practice, and Barnes is is a part of the com. He, you know, he's a part of the group. But anytime I've been there, it has been very much John Scott Jr. actively coaching and Barnes being an assistant, as you would imagine the dynamic would be. So I, I don't know what his coaching would be. And to me, between the two, I lean towards development. You know, like you, that, that to me, that's the, the more important of the two. But I can also make an argument that talent acquisition is the mo more important. I think James Franklin might make the arg argument that talent acquisition is more important. So. Again, it's I, I don't know where all of this comes down, but when it comes to development, he's got to be able to do that as well. Relatability is great. Um, what's the rest of it? I, I don't know. I'm going to plagiarize a little bit here. Um, this week in The Athletic, um, Audrey Snyder had a nice article where she's pushing hard for Dion Barnes. So let, let's put that um, out there. And I just want to read one little bit from her where she puts out uh, players have raved about Barnes. It goes beyond his willingness to connect with them there. Uh, he often works after hours with the pass rushers, helping to develop their skills. At, uh, and Barnes seemingly always work technique with the linemen. Again, this is one article from one person's perspective. Candidly, none of us in the media are so close where we're there every practice. We can just go by things that are said by other folks, meaning players, other coaches. So there is some push there for Dion Barnes. I don't have a, a feeling one way or the other. You feel like you're not close. And I'm even further away than you, you are, T. Frank. Just mentioning, uh, you know, Audrey seems to be tied in pretty well. Oftentimes, uh, She's one that is pushing for Dion Barnes. I thought that was interesting. But when you fill any position and all the assistant coaches are important, you owe it to the team itself to do your due diligence, though, and look around and see what's available, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is you shouldn't ever conduct any business where you just make the decision before you have all the facts and all of the options there. Obviously, the last time Penn State had a good defensive line coach and then passed that coach up for a promotion, meaning uh, Larry Johnson Sr. Uh, for head coach, we saw how that worked. You know, they're, they're, that didn't go over very well. Um, I'm not saying that, that it's just interesting kind of comparison here of an in-house candidate that uh, people love and respect and want to have the job. And uh, 
And is that guy going to get the job? Or are they going to open up to a national search? Like I said, this is going to happen sooner rather than later because of the context of they have to they have to keep the machine running. And uh, as much as uh, you can have an assistant go on the co- r- road recruiting, a recruiting coordinator, you, you want to have a position coach building relationships in a recruiting cycle that is very important for the defensive line. You know, I, I think that last year's crop was good, but if they want to maintain the standard they've set, they need to make sure they get more high quality players at, uh, at, at defensive end and of course a defensive tackle for this next cycle. So this is going to be we're going to find out sooner rather than later, in my opinion. And I'll leave this with my last thought. You don't make Dion Barnes the give him that position because you're afraid he's going to leave. You only give him the job if you think he's the right guy for it. All right, T. Frank, that's it for quarter number one. We will get to our agenda in segment number two. Stay tuned. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He is Thomas Frank Carr. I am Jim Galante. And T. Frank, since we spent quarter number one Talking about the former Penn State defensive line coach, that pushed off our topic of the day, which I definitely want to get to, which is let's talk about the class of 23 and more specifically the early entries. Now, a year ago, the class of 22, they had a major impact right away on this team. We all know the names. I don't have to go through it. In general, we're not going to see that kind of impact with the class of 23, are we? No, for a couple of reasons. The the best players in this class, as far as like high level talent are on the offensive line. And it's harder to make that impact. And believe it or not, Penn State has enough depth there that outside of key reserve and or rotational roles, they, they don't necessarily need a freshman to step on the field and save them. They're in a position where, hey, your best player might be your fourth tackle, maybe your fifth tackle. That's where you want to be. Like, that's where you would love to be as a program unless you have game changers that you are recruiting and, and bringing into the into the fold of like freaky athletes that can step on from the high school field and be as athletic, if not more athletic than some of the players they're facing who are two or three years older than they are. So 
that's the the first thing. And then the second thing is I think the other strength of the class is in the secondary where Penn State already has a strength. So there are not concentric, uh, there, there's no overlap between what the, the team needs and what this class provides, even if it does provide, I think, in certain areas, very, very high-level talent. Well, to get on the field, talent has to meet opportunity also. But let, let's start at the top of the class. Like you mentioned, it's at the offensive line. And again, we must be the only fan base in the country at Penn State to start segments talking about the offensive line. And we as fans think it's important. We've learned that. So let's start with Alex Bershmeyer, 6'5", 285, offensive lineman out of Virginia. One of my favorite things about him is he's also a wrestler, which I think that skill translates here. Tell me about Alex Birchmeyer. Uh, well, you, you started out in a great spot, giving his his vital 6'5", 285, coming in as the lightest offensive lineman in this class. Uh, and because of that wrestling background, he had to keep his weight down. Otherwise, there's a chance he could have been a higher player in the on three rankings because, you know, he just other guys kind of caught up to him in, in the development process. Uh, so we don't talk about him the way we should as as an athlete. He's currently like they're they're using him at talking about him at tackle to start with to see if he can do it. And then. The long-term projection is on the interior, but 6'5", length, 285 pounds, uh, the most complete player of the three that is coming into Penn State along the offensive line, where he can pass protect, he can run block, his technique is... I thought Landon Tangwall was one of the most advanced players I've seen come to Penn State from a technical standpoint on the offensive line, and Birchmeyer is better. So, very high, high praise for Alex Birchmeyer. Um, there's not a whole lot you could want more out of him other than he's not obviously a tackle. He's not six foot six with 36 inch arms or things like that. He's still kind of a tweener in that situation, but the sort of tweener that you're only playing a tackle because maybe you need him instead of like, okay, we have to play him there. Um, and in the future when he, if, if, and when he kicks inside, I don't have any question whatsoever that he's going to be a great interior offensive lineman. And what's interesting is you have Birchmeyer, who, by every analysis I've read, listening to you, he's a pretty polished kid already. And I don't want to say ready to play, but probably pretty close. The interesting thing on the next guy is J. Van Williams. He's 6'5", 290 out of Wyoming. We've always called him the tackle of the pair, mm -hmm. but he's probably not as refined, but also quite the athlete. Yeah. So just quickly on Birchmeyer to button that up, if he had to start this year, I think he could do a slightly better job than Drew Shelton did. Uh, you know, from just looking at his skills, if he was pressed into duty, he's a he's a more polished pass protector. He's maybe not as athletic but he's got all the other things that you'd be looking for. Uh, Javen, as you, you summed it up perfectly athletic to a crazy degree. When I watch him run in the open field, I see an NFL offensive lineman. Like it's, it's hard not to, to go too far, but only a certain percentage of people 
move that way at that size and with his dimensions and, you know, the looks like test of, okay, he has the frame and he moves like that. You add on 10 pounds, 15 pounds. And he's like, that's what we're talking about is an NFL offensive line body. The, the issue is you don't always run block coming from while missing. He, he was only experienced. He was only um, exposed to certain things. They run a very old school offense. The thing I found impressive was he would flip positions mid drive where he'd be a tackle one play. He'd be a guard the next. They would use him as an over tackle at times to you know have a, a strength in the formation. So from from that perspective, he got a good uh, mix of left and right. So I think you could play him anywhere on the offensive line, but it's pass protection. It, it, similar to Drew Shelton, but maybe even a little more clunky. Uh, in pass protection. But the, the great thing about Javen Williams is that if if you project his athleticism to pass protection, he's elite. His movement skills going forward should be translatable to when he goes backwards. All he needs is time and reps. And I have seen him get better at camps with Phil Troutwine. I've seen an improvement there. But the, the issue is he just didn't get enough of that in, in high school. He didn't get enough gen- overall to make him more than than he is currently heading in, into what he is in now, which is heading into spring football. But again, from a strength perspective, his track numbers are state record setting. And, and there's just from a physical profile, there's nothing missing other than, again, he's not 6'6 with 36 inch arms. Other than that, like, He's everything you want in an offensive lineman. I did a piece recently of uh, guys that have superstar potential at their position. Both of these guys make the list. Alex Birchmeyer as an interior offensive lineman and Javen Williams as a tackle. But generally, both guys have the ability to reach a level of superstardom at their respective positions, which is funny because you don't get to be a guard if you're Alex Birchmeyer and be a superstar unless you're really, 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 really good and I think he can do that. And again, we as fans have learned just how critical the offensive line is and making everybody else look like a star. You know, we talk a lot about Birchmeyer and Williams. We don't hear enough about the third guy in this group, with it, which is Anthony Donka, who's 6'5", 320 pounds. Uh, and he's already getting some positive press we're hearing some great quotes about him in his early appearances again these guys are all on campus these are the early entry early entries what about donka should he be overlooked like this uh t frank no uh but but so this is the this is the phil trotwine factor to me because a couple years ago anthony donko first off would be the best offensive lineman in the class and he'd be a bit of a project anthony is a bit of a project so I don't have an issue with Javen Williams instincts as a football player, right? So I, I don't have an issue, even if he's not good at pass protecting of him figuring it out because generally he gets football watching Anthony's film. There's still that to overcome. There's still, does he have football instincts? So right now, 320 pounds. Listen, Anthony Donko is a unit. He is just as athletic and and just as talented as the other two from a physical standpoint. The reason he's a three star is because it's hard to watch him put it together on film. 
He's probably more athletic than Alex, Ber- Alex Birchmeyer, but he's a true interior player because I don't think you can play him on the outside. Um, now, with Phil Troutwine, we have seen him take guys that want to get better. And, and it sounds like, I hope that doesn't sound disrespectful, but like I want to set an accurate baseline for what Anthony Donko is. And you're not really getting into positional skills in February. Like that's a spring, that's a camp thing. We'll find out more about how much he's progressed then. But from a physical standpoint, he is absolutely a guy that could play tackle or guard, but I see him long-term as a, as a, as a guard. And if it weren't for Phil Troutwine, I would be much lower on Donko because I think instincts are a hard thing to learn. And if you don't have a proper teacher and you, you don't really, um, apply those lessons and thoughts you you get a situation where you know what to do but like the soul of it like the 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 real like i get football that that part always concerns me if i don't see that right away from certain football players but you know anthony is a smart kid he works really hard and i think that he's going to be able to get there so the the promise is absolutely worth it and uh, he should be able to, in the current situation with with this coaching staff, achieve some of that unbelievable upside. Let's move on to the tight end position. And Joey Schlaffer, he's 6'6", 215 out of Reading. Now, at the tight end position, I think Rappelier, who's not there yet, gets has gotten more ink and probably more attention from us. Mega Barnwell who's kind of a freak. We've talked about him and we will get to him, but tell me about Joey Schlaffer receiver at Exeter township. For the most part, he played a little bit of inline tight end in his junior season, but then really kind of, they used him as a playmaker, um, a good football player. I think a traditional Penn state tight end. If you're talking about a receiver that has to make the transition with a big frame to tight end, but you know, the half brother of Michael Mennett. I he's he's a football player that has, you know, I, I've performed really well in high school. He he earned becoming a four star and becoming, you know, increasing his stock his senior season. Um, some a long way to go, I think, from a physical standpoint of getting bigger. He's listed, you know, 215, 220, needs to be 240, and he he's got kind of that. If you're building a mold of him, he's a little bit more of the Theo Johnson might take him a little bit longer to break out. He's got to get bigger and stronger and relate all of those skills that he has from a receiver position to a true Y tight end, which is where I think he ends up in the end. T Frank, we're going to get to the rest of the players in quarter number four, but first quarter number three, we're going to ask T Frank come back for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. 
You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news, 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He's T. Frank Carr. It's quarter number three. You know what that means. It's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions for T. Frank. He answers them, number one. Then number two, he's going to judge you. He's going to judge you and decide who makes the cut, who doesn't. He's going to tell you who the best questioner is, and you will win the prize pack from our good friends at 409tailgateclub.com. You'll get the wonderful coffee barbecue rubs. You get to play God, T. Frank. You decide who's good, who's throwing crap questions out here. Well, I I hate to use good and and bad, giving it a moral context, but uh, (laughs) I evaluate. That's what I do. You know, that's that is my job is to evaluate, you know, football talent. But hopefully I I can also evaluate quality questions as as a member of the media who asks questions regularly. Uh, Hopefully I'm not so far off that I don't know how to do that. And if you want your question analyzed by T. Frank, download the app. It's Keystone Sports. You'll see the Ask T. Frank button and give it a shot. All right, let's get started with Wayne from Paoli. He says, T. Frank, it's fourth and two with the game on the line. All else being equal, are you giving the ball to Nick Singleton or Katron Allen? Oh, boy. Um... I, I I would go with Nick Singleton because it, it's less than about making somebody miss. And it's about, can you physically overpower somebody if there isn't the opportunity to make somebody miss like Catron Allen's going to be in a situation where he can't slither out of something at some point it's fourth and two. I think Singleton, uh, even though at times he got tackled low and he didn't get his pad level low enough of I'm going to go with eventually between the two of them. Singleton's going to get that more times than not. Um, And and that power, the violence that he runs with, I'm going to trust that over having to create a little bit of chaos in order to then take advantage of said chaos. Like that, that's the difference to me is not that Catron Allen needs to do things wrong to get things right, but his greatest strength is cleaning up a mess at times. Um, and I'm going to hope and trust that we don't have to do that. And it's more of linebacker in the hole, Singleton versus linebacker. I'm going to go with Singleton. You're, I trust your analysis better than mine, T. Frank. At the beginning of the season, I probably would have said Katron Allen. But tell me if I'm right or wrong here. It felt like as the season progressed, Nick Singleton wasn't an all or nothing guy anymore. He got better when it was third and one or third and two, making sure he got that one or two yards in the first down. 
Yes. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm basing a little bit of this on. And the times that he didn't, honestly, uh, we, we can have a conversation of should he have had the ball considering it was a read option and uh, maybe they were throwing more numbers at the line of scrimmage because Nick Singleton was there and, and Sean Clifford wasn't keeping the ball in as many situations. But generally, I think that you're right about him getting better and being a little more consistent. Also, in that in that particular context, the blocking got better too as the season went on. So therefore, he got to look better. Gotcha. All right, let's go to Harry in Reading, who says, "As optimistic as I am about the offensive line, I'm wondering about the move of Hunter Norzad to center. I thought Juice Scruggs did an under the radar radar good job. What do you expect from Norzad this year? And who is next in line at that position?" Who is next in line right now is not anybody at the moment. Um, and that's, I think, the, the biggest thing is who are they cross-training there and who might be a guy that can fill in. Landon Tengwall, uh, low-key, is a guy that could play center. I know last year for emergency situations, Vega Ioane was somebody that they were cross-training a guard. I don't love either of those options. I think those guys are better guards than they are centers you want a guy that's everything at every position run blocker pass protector athlete power all that stuff um but generally what i've noticed is it's it's better to have the power at guard and have the athleticism at center that didn't necessarily work in 2021 when juice scruggs was your power guy and you had eric wilson who was not you know strong at guard you move Juice Scruggs inside, you have a little more beef, you have a little more strength there, and then everything worked a little bit better. But you also had Sal Wormley, who is, between the two, he is the run blocker specific. Um, and, and, of course, Landon Tangwall was supposed to be the left guard, who is who is that guy as well. Hunter Norzad is athletic, he's violent, he's explosive. I think he's a very good center prospect. This is where I think... he. In the same way that Juice Scruggs was meant to be a center, I think that's the same with Hunter Norzad. And the fear from Penn State fans that I'm getting is like, well, we haven't seen it before. And you didn't really see it with Juice either. He was he flashed at times, and he had more opportunities to flash because he was here longer. Hunter Norzad was injured most of last year and has only been here one year. So what we've seen of him, the profile fits. And again, I'm going back to Phil Troutwine as kind of the, the, the cheat answer here of, I think he's going to make the right decisions and get the most out of these players. And for a guy that fits center well and should be surrounded by a bunch of bodyguards, like Vega Yuane is a unit. Like, I really like what they're bringing in a guard this year. That should be that should work. That should be a good situation. The problem is the the next center that they have, I think, really scoped out is Cooper Cousins, who's in the class of 24 and is not on the roster yet. So they'll have to find somebody for that position to be the next guy. But it's somebody at guard. And then Nick Dawkins is a part of the conversation as a veteran depth player who I, I don't respectfully i don't think it's a it's a great sign if he's playing because he he hasn't exhibited the ability to break through the depth chart yet you talk about hunter norzad and we haven't seen it yet that's why we ask you t frank we ask the man with the answers when we don't know yeah <laughs> let's move on let's get to jason in clearfield who says what can we expect from dante cephas is he another Mitchell Tinsley, which isn't bad, or is he something more? 
Well, I thought Mitchell Tinsley was going to be more, so this is an area where maybe I have a blind spot because I love receivers, and you know, as long as you're not a certain thing at receiver, which is kind of slow, um, then obviously slow and obviously tight. Then, then I really I see the potential. Um, and Mitchell Tinsley was a fluid, big-bodied receiver that wasn't slow, but I don't know was as fast as I expected. Dante Cephas is is fast enough. The the question is, and this is the whole point I may, I've made this offseason, is he needs to get into the strength and conditioning program at Penn State as opposed to where he is now because I think he can get stronger and faster. Um, a lot of guys are lean now, by the way. Like, So part of, part of my evaluation is like, what is your physical final form? What is your fully developed final form? A lot of guys aren't going as big as they possibly can. There is this functional athleticism, a little bit leaner, more of a basketball player amongst receivers that is the new body type. And, and, and Cephas fits that bill. I still think his frame is big enough that he could add some more weight and play a little bit closer to 200 pounds and be a little bit more of a true X. So I... I I hesitate to say that he's the, the guy, but he he can be. He absolutely can be your number one receiver making that transition. But I also thought Tinsley was going to be that guy, and that didn't quite work with that leap to the Big Ten. Um, but Cephas is very good at getting open, and that's, I think, a difference is Tinsley was much more of linear catch, break a tackle, and explode and, and run away from people at, at his level more so than getting open with route running and agility and things like that. I, I think that Cephas can be a little bit more than, than Tinsley was. I, this is now my question. I can't help myself while we're talking receivers. How about McLean coming in from Florida state? What are your, now that dude, that dude is the total package. Um, I, I, a little bit of control issues. Here's the, here's the thing that I think is interesting about Marcus Hagans is he's, Generally, Olomita Zacchaeus was a very small slot receiver and the best player to come out of Virginia that now plays for the Falcons. So all of these things are, are sort of generalities that don't fit every single situation. But more times than not, big body receivers is what he coached. Taylor Stubblefield was much more looking for the undersized air quotes, undersized route runner for every, you know, six foot five, 11, six, one, somewhere in there. Bigger guys. I think Hagen's has, has coached and, and coached to the best of their abilities. And that to me is an interesting dynamic with McLean who he's, he's the total package. He's six, four, he's fast. I think he's fluid enough to run routes uh, at every level of the field and be a complete receiver. There are times that he's a little bit out of control. I think he slips a little bit. He needs to work on some of those things to improve his intermediate route running. But the difference is I think he can do it at that size. So unlocking all of that potential is the answer. And that's the guy that I pegged him as the Z because he has a little bit more work to do. And I think he can have a, a specific role in the offense. But if he puts it all together, he's the guy. Like, that's the guy with all the talent. You got me excited about seeing him play. Let's get to Walt in York, who says, is Tyrese Mill a linebacker, a safety, or something else? With Manny Diaz, is there essentially a safety-linebacker hybrid now? If there is, is that what Tony Rojas will also be playing? Okay, so there's a couple There's a couple things in there um, that I think we're, we're conflating. 
I don't know at this point. I need to see what happens because Tyrese Mills said to Blue White Illustrated during the availability for first year players that he's a safety. Um, now, does he mean theoretically he's a safety or literally he's going back to the field or boundary positions? I don't know. So I have to he's listed as a linebacker on the roster. So he would be a, a Sam field linebacker if he is still playing that or if he in his mind thinks that's a safety in Manny Diaz's def- uh, defense. There is some semantics there, but if you're playing in underneath coverage, then you're a linebacker. That's your job. That's your your responsibility. Whether or not you're a safety or a linebacker body type is the conversation. But the Sam linebacker doesn't ever drop into a deep third in Manny Diaz's defense so far. Maybe someday if they have a true monster hybrid player that can do both, that might be something they can put a wrinkle into the defense. But that's usually on a third down package, and that player is a corner or a true safety. Well, you know, one of the true safeties is doing that in a third down. You don't have the field linebacker doing that. Uh, Tony Rojas was a defensive end in high school, so he is a traditional linebacker body type playing the same position. They have multiple answers at the same position for different scenarios, including a true, true linebacker in Curtis Jacobs, who's going to be the starter at that position. Very good, T. Frank. We look forward to you picking out the winner, and we're going to do that at the start of quarter number four. Stay tuned for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is our fourth and final quarter. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. We need... T. Frank to name our winner from our Ask T. Frank segment. And just a little bit of disclosure of our conversation between segments. T. Frank had some trouble with this one deciding, but who's the final call? Who's the winner, T. Frank? Yeah, we're going with Wayne in Peolia. Is that, did I pronounce that properly? Peoli. Peoli. Yeah, I tried to put it it phonetically on my uh, sheet and I don't know what I wrote down. Uh, Peoli. That is that is what I wrote. Yeah, um, I, I tend to be a football nerd, so I gravitate towards the football nerd questions. But Wayne asked a really fun question, and sometimes you need to just be less annoying, T. Frank, and uh, just just have the the, the bro talk conversation. Nick Singleton, Catron <laughs> Allen, fourth down. Who you got? It was a great premise. I think it was there was some there was meat behind it, and I wanted to reward that one. All right, very good, Wayne. I'll be reaching out to you. 
And uh, next time you're at a Penn State bar, you could bring up that question and you could be the authority because you could quote T. Frank on it. Let's get back to our discussion about the class of 23, the early enrollees. We still got several to go. Let's get through it. Let's get to one of my favorites, Mega Barnwell, Mm -hmm. 6'6", T. Frank, is he a tight end? Is he an offensive tackle? Is he a defensive tackle? What the heck is he? So I think we have it narrowed down to offense and at 240 some pounds right now, six, six, he's not a, he's not a tackle. Like he's just, he's not making that decision. He's been working as hard as he can to fight his genetics and be 245, 250 pounds. So he's a tight end. The issue is here. He is not fast enough to be a tight end in, in, you know, in Penn state's offense specifically, he could be, a phenomenal blocker. He could be a phenomenal blocking tight end. He could be a wide tight end. And here's the thing is like, it's not all about speed because he's got a, a bananas reach. Like he is a skyscraper reach and he's a good athlete. He's got great body control in the air. He's working at this. Like he wants to be a pass catcher. He wants to be in the spotlight. I don't blame him. I wanted to do that. I think a lot of people want to be something they're not. And then they have to have the realization of what they are and what they aren't. And Barnwell right now wants to be a tight end. So he's a tight end and uh, he has some value there. But the obvious thing that I think everybody sees is that if he were to commit to his genetics and allow his body to do what it wants, he would be 275 pounds easily marching towards 285. And he would have all that body control, all that size, that length, the footwork, he would be a great tackle prospect. But until he makes that decision, and that's a commitment by him, that's not going to happen. Um, and I know that everyone wants to be a certain thing. Uh, and I, I'll say it again. I've said this a thousand times when talking about Mega Barnwell. Just encourage him to go to overthecap.com and see how much offensive linemen make in the NFL. Because it, I understand you want to be a tight end. The business decision here. You want to play tackle. Tight end is not the same thing at the next level. I still always just keep picturing this multi-tight end formation where, boy, he ends up blocking, and that's uh, leading the way for Nick Singleton or Catron Allen. I well, think, think about it this way. Fun. Think about it this way. Uh, the, the, the T formation. If one of your tight ends is actually a tackle that can catch, how much more flexibility and much more danger does that present if Mega Barnwell is out there at 280 pounds and can catch, he's a tackle eligible, and it's it's actually a thing you can use. That is also a... I keep thinking about that. I just... I want to see that, but, you know, that's not my decision to make. It, it's his decision, it's his life, and he can be what he wants to be. I hope to God Mike Yersich is listening to this, T. Frank. I <laughs> I want to see that so bad. I really do. I, I just and again, you you have formations with two and even three tight ends out there. There's got to be a niche for this guy doing that. All right, let's move on. I'm taking up too much time here. Team Frank Jackson Smolik, mm-hmm. quarterback out of Iowa. Something has gone terribly wrong if he sees the field this year. But if you're a quarterback, boy, it's good that he gets there early. Yes, and I asked Bo Perbula the other day, what what's the through line between you? Drew and Jackson trying to understand like what what is Mike Yersich looking for in a quarterback and he said we're all it, we're all smart guys that make good decisions and uh, we all 
can operate an offense at a high level, essentially. And they're all accurate. I, I think that's if you want to know what Jackson Smolik is, he's a little bit of both. He's a little bit of an athlete. I wouldn't call him the same athlete as Bo Perbula, but he's a pocket passer. That's a guy that wants to throw from the pocket and win from the pocket. Does he have the physical tools? I, I would say he has a little bit less than Bo, but he's not below the line that is capable of starting in the Big Ten. I think he still has those skills. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball and start with Tony Rojas, 6'2", 195, undersized for the linebacker position. But we're already hearing rave reviews about him. Again, another guy that's going to excel during winter workouts because he's... uh, I keep saying this about certain positions. Corner, the bar has been raised as far as athlete and positional skills. That like there's just a different level now. So when you when Penn State recruits somebody below that level, it's noticeable. Tony Rojas is far and away above the threshold of athlete at linebacker that Penn State has been recruiting. 195 pounds, 200 pounds is fine right now. His frame at six two and a half is great. So he can develop into that guy, but he is lean right now. But athlete, run, chase, blitz. The sky is the limit. He just needs to learn how to play through contact and be, you know, a true linebacker with all the instincts of playing in coverage and things we haven't seen yet because he was a running back and defensive end in high school. The other linebacker who's there early is Tamir Robinson, 6'4", 225, much different body, but he's coming off an ACL injury in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, got to see him up close the other day at uh, at a, a Thon event, and man, <laughs> he looks great in person. Uh, he's awesome. He is so, and I think it's good for him to be at Penn State right now because of what you mentioned. He missed a year and a half of football, so being around, being in the weight room, being with the team again, I think that's and being in spring fo- football to to knock some of the rest off. I think that's really good for him. Instincts of the position I'm super interested in because he was just starting to pick it up. He was a safety that also played a little bit of outside linebacker that was not really good at rushing the passer, but obviously has the frame that we had to have that conversation playing Mike. I want to see him play and learn the position. I want to see more of what his instincts are as a linebacker, because if he picks that up again, athlete, he is more than capable of crossing that threshold and meeting the standard at, at, of athlete at linebacker could be the modern guy that can run all over the field in passing lanes. It reminds me a little bit of um, uh, some of the guys in the NFL, Fred Warner. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch in terms of athleticism and coverage ability, but that frame to be the, the complete guy is what I'm saying is he has all the tools to be a complete linebacker that never has to come off the field, but there's a long, long way to go to prove that. And I just want to mention, as T. Frank and I record, we can see each other on video. The mention of Tamir Robinson's name, your face just lit up when you talked about seeing him, uh, which bodes well. All right, let's talk about the defensive backs. We've got four minutes left, so I'm going to just lump the three of them in together. We've got Elliot Washington, Zion Tracy and Lamont Payne um, as the three guys who are the defensive backs who are the early entries. You got four minutes, T. Frank. Let's hear it. So let's spend most of the time on Elliot Washington. I'll get to him last. I'll start with Zion Tracy because I don't know anything about Zion Tracy. <laughs> like there is so little <laughs> film of Zion Tracy out there. Uh, and this past year, he's at St. Thomas Moore, a prep school, and he mostly played receiver. But there's a very little film for me to evaluate from St. Thomas Moore. And, and when he did play corner, he played well. Got to see him in person at a camp and he shut down 
one of Penn State's previous commits, uh, Johnny Shakir, in that camp. Frustrated him to the point of like, I was a little uncomfortable watching Johnny's uh, uh, reactions publicly. I was like, man, you you need to button this up because the uh, Zion Tracy was getting it under his skin. And he wasn't like trash talking. He was just beating him. He was thoroughly winning these reps. So great sign. Super great athlete. Don't know much more about him at that position. Lamont Payne probably is a safety given again. I talk about the the level of athlete at corner, the acceptable movement skills and all of those things. He's probably one of the guys they recruit as a corner that's going to move to that field safety physical dude, 190 pounds already. I love his mind for the game. I think he's going to be a, a very good safety prospect, but probably not a corner. And then the guy that I think has the chance to play the most and play earliest is Elliot Washington. He is fun to watch 195 pounds six foot and runs really fast physical he is yoked like watching him play football was really fun to watch now he's another guy that i think has stood out during this winter period because he's super athletic it'll change to me when we get into spring ball and if he's still you know standing out because he played a lot of what is called bail technique in high school which is a very specific thing your butts to the sideline you're playing usually specifically a zone coverage or he was playing press man. Uh, he's a little wild in his press man stuff. Uh, I think he needs to get a little more patient. He needs a, a little bit more refinement there, but when it comes to exposure to multiple zones, being able to transition break on the football, um, some of the, the field vision, I, I think there's a little bit of growth to go there, but he's such a good athlete. This is a guy that was at one point, a top hundred player in the nation was committed to Alabama at one point. Um, now, obviously, those things fell through and he's at Penn State, but I don't think that the the talent it, it maybe just wasn't a fit, but the talent is not the issue. Um, the one thing I'd say is maybe he doesn't have the greatest length in the world, but it's not bad. So he's got enough of the skills that I think he has really great potential. And then his development uh, with with Terry Smith is going to determine a lot of what he becomes as a football player. But I really like what he's working with. And because they need to groom the next uh, crop of guys, and I think they need another storm duck like player who's physical. I think he has a chance to play uh, this fall as long as he earns that through not making a lot of mental mistakes because of the things we just talked about. Are you saying he's a cornerback? For sure. Yes, he's he's absolutely a cornerback. There's no question that his his athletic skills from change of direction, hips, feet, speed, all those things. He is a corner, um, but I just like his physicality. I like having a corner that doesn't mind getting in a fight. And I think Washington, his intensity, watching him play is another part that I think is going to be a huge benefit where you want to have guys that can come up in zone coverage. If you want to play cover two, that they have to own the flat. Nobody gets by them. They tackle, they fill in the run game. Cause that's another thing is that teams are doing a lot of these big formations to get corners in the run game and make them fill a gap. You want guys that can do that. And I, I don't have a problem saying Elliot Washington, as long as he can tackle and, and, you know, learns the techniques, no problem with him in run defense. Very good T Frank. Thanks for all the great information. However, that is it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hockensmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network.